so I'm excited to be here and uh, and and jump in today. Uh, the The title of my message today is called "The Thrill of the Chase." About three weeks ago. On a Sunday morning, about once a quarter, we do a uh, we do a volunteer huddle at our church where we get all of our volunteers together and we just talk about what the Lord's done and what what's upcoming at our church and celebrate a couple things and give people a charge for the day. Well, we did our first one of the year on Sunday, February the third, and I'm I'm in there. I'm sharing some things and then we go and we start praying for the day. This is about 8.40 in the morning. And all of a sudden, as we are praying, we hear the sound of screeching tires. And so everybody in the middle of the prayer, uh, everybody looks up. Nobody's paying attention to the prayer anymore. And we see this 1989 Mustang flying through our parking lot on a Sunday morning. And it comes it, it comes uh, from the entrance, if you know our church is by McDonald's, and it comes through there, screeches through our parking lot, almost comes into our kids' entrance, and it uh, corrects right before it hits the building. There are skid marks up on the sidewalk. It uh, then corrects and then goes out our side entrance. And the next thing I know, I see a highway patrolman coming straight through our parking lot, chasing this person, coming through and going out and chasing this person. Actually, uh, from what I know, they never ended up catching this person. It was a stolen car. They dumped it around rice and then they got out and ran and they didn't get caught. So if you're here, uh, you know, turn yourself into the police. Uh, and, uh, but if not, and if you're also here, thank you for giving me this illustration. And so this idea, man, we love a good chase. You know, we, we, love, a, we love a good pursuit. I, I believe that's part of the reason that so many people, for some reason, really love hunting. Uh, the, you know, hunters get up incredibly early in the morning when it's still dark. They put deer pee on themselves. They do all of these dumb things to try to attract animals, all for the thrill of pursuing an animal and getting a shoe on. And they'll sit in the woods for hours and hours and hours, and they'll never kill anything or shoot anything. And then they come out of the woods, man, it was just a great day in the woods. Right, because they love the thrill of chasing and pursuing something. I, I remember the first time I went hunting, the first and only time I went hunting, uh, I, uh, one of my friends, I was in college, and I spent the night at his house. I was excited. I'd never been hunting before. My dad uh, didn't, wasn't a hunter, and so I didn't grow up around guns and didn't grow up hunting. My dad didn't give me any, any of that stuff. And so my friend uh, really wanted me to go with him. And so I was going with him, and we got up early in the morning, got awful early in the morning, and we rode to this hunting site, and we had on all of our camo, and we put all these scents and smells on us and all this kind of stuff. And uh, we climbed up in a deer stand and uh, his deer stand was over here in a tree and mine was over here uh, in a tree. And so we climbed up in these deer stand and then I said, okay, what do we do now? And see, he said, we just wait. I said, what do you mean? There's no action to this thing. There's no like, no, you just wait. And so I actually ended up 45 minutes into it, falling asleep in the tree stand. And uh, I woke up when it was time to go again. And so that's the only time I've ever been deer hunting. But people love deer hunting because it's the thrill of the chase. They love this idea of pursuit. The same reason people love fishing. Right? People will go fishing and spend all day on a lake and come back sunburnt and in pain and with blisters on their body and not catch a single fish, but they had so much fun. They loved it because they loved the, the thrill of the chase, the thrill of pursuit. It's the reason why when you're a kid, the game that you love playing more than any other game is tag. 
You love playing tag. You love chasing people. You love pursuing people. I, I remember when I was a kid, uh, my, uh, my best friend in the world, his name was John Sherrod. We lived in North Carolina and at this time. And he came into my house and he stole my sister's teddy bear. And so I got on my bike and I immediately just chased him and pursued him and went after him. And I loved every minute of it. Why? Because we love this. We love the thrill of the chase. We love pursuing people. My, my little girl, uh, as Heather mentioned, she's four. And that's what Monday night we had home group. And her and the other kids ranging from two years old to seven years old, that's what they did for two hours during home group. They just ran around and chased each other. They just played tag. They ran around because they love the thrill of the chase. They love pursuing each other. This is part of the reason that people love sports so much. It's this idea of uh, I can pursue number one, right? It's the reason that the number one team always gets your best shot because we love the chase, the, the, the pursuit of trying to uh, get and beat the best team, the, 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 the pursuit of trying to go after the best team. It's the reason that so many people love sports. It's the reason that uh, so many people love to go to Frankie's Fun Park. Why? Because we love riding go-karts, and we love going around in circles because we love chasing each other. We love pursuing each other. We love winning and the idea of passing and, and knocking our friends out and spinning them around, even though you might get kicked out. But we still do it, and we love it because we love this idea of chasing and pursuing. Right? It's the reason that we love some of the movies that we love. One of my favorite movies in the world is Taken. And the reason I love Taken, why? Because his daughter gets taken and he gets on the phone and he says, I will find you and I will kill you. And then he pursues him the whole time and he is unbelievable, kills all these people, gets his daughter back. And I love it because I love the thrill of pursuit. I, I love this, this idea, the thrill of the chase. It's the reason that I love uh, all of the Bourne movies, all of Jason Bourne's movies. Why? Because he's always going after somebody or something where, where this all started. He's going after it. And in the meantime, the U.S. government is coming after him. And it's this idea of they're just chasing and pursuing each other. And I love it because of that. It's the reason that we love movies. It's also the reason that we love relationships, I think. Right, a big part of, of relationships, and, and I, I remember when I first met my wife, I was a, a youth intern at First Baptist Church in Shelby, North Carolina. And I walked into the gym on my first Sunday for their contemporary service. Uh, they had their contemporary service at 8.30 in the morning and their traditional service at 11 o'clock. And so I walked in my first Sunday, and I spotted her from across the room. Right, I spotted her. And so I was a youth intern at this church. I found out later in the week that it was actually the pastor's daughter of this church that I spotted. But maybe, right? And, I, and so I was excited, and I was, but I was excited because I was going after it. There was a thrill of chasing. So, uh, so I pursued her, right? I pursued her. I went after her. I, I uh, took her on dates. I remember the first date I took her on was to Dairy Queen. And uh, we went to Dairy Queen because she said her throat was hurting. And so I was like, what better for a sore throat than ice cream? Right, and uh, so we went to Dairy Queen, and we were talking. We sat there and talked for three hours, and then she gets a text from her dad and says, "How much ice cream does it take for your throat to feel better?" And so we, you know, we love this idea of chasing and pursuing in relationships. A few weeks after that, I went to a mission on a mission trip with her dad, 
to Trinidad and and I, I was still pursuing her. I mean, I, I spent I spent more money than I had in my bank account on phone cards so that I could call her from Trinidad back to Shelby so I could still pursue her even when I was gone. So that she knew that even when I was out of the country, right, she was still on my mind, that I was still thinking about her. Right, and this idea of wanting to pursue and chase her. And so one morning I, I decided, you know, I, I really like this girl, and so I want to I want to pursue the next step with her, and I want to ask her to, you know, to be my girlfriend, whatever. I don't know what I said. Hopefully I didn't say that. Uh, hopefully I didn't say, like, I want to ask her to go steady or something, but whatever you, you say. And so I sat down with her dad. I got up early that morning. We were in Trinidad, and I sat down with her dad, and I was drinking a cup of coffee with him. And uh, I said, Tony, uh, I want to ask you something. And he said, okay. And I said, when, when we get back from Trinidad to Shelby, I, I would really love to ask your daughter if she will be my girlfriend. And he looked back at me and he said, well, that's her decision, don't you think? And I said, all right, I was just trying to be a gentleman and be nice. But this idea, we love this idea uh, of chasing and pursuing, this art of pursuit, this thrill of the chase. And I think the reason that we love it so much is because we were created for it. And the reason I think we were created for pursuit is because Scripture tells us that we were created in the image of God. And what I know through reading the Bible is that God is a God of pursuit. God's a God who comes after us. God is a God throughout the entire Old Testament. He is constantly going after his people. He is constantly making a way for his people. He is constantly, even when they run away, Right, Even when they're faithless, even when uh, they are struggling, even when they turn from him, he is constantly chasing and pursuing because he loves them so much. And then we see God revealed in Jesus in the New Testament, the, the Son of God, God in flesh, the full and perfect revelation of Jesus, of God in Jesus in the New Testament. And we see that Jesus, when he was on this earth, Jesus showed us that God's character is to be a God who pursues other people. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. And my first point is this. We see in Scripture that Jesus pursued people. We see that Jesus pursued people. Uh, John chapter 1, uh, in verse 43 it says this, The next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. He found Philip, and he told him, follow me. So we see Jesus, he finds Philip, he pursued Philip, and then he said, hey, come and follow me. And then a couple of chapters later in John chapter 4, at the beginning it says this, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, though Jesus himself wasn't baptizing but his disciples were, he left Judea and he went again to Galilee. He had to travel through Samaria, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the property that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, worn out from his journey, he sat down at the well. It was about noon. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her. You see, uh, we see Jesus pursuing this woman. Normally, Jewish people hated Samaritans so much that they would walk from where Jesus was to where he was going. They would walk around Samaria in order to get there. As a matter of fact, they would normally, it normally took them six days to travel around Samaria to the place where they were going. But if they would just go through Samaria, it would have only taken them three days to make that journey. But they hated Samaritans so much that they were willing to walk three extra days 
so that they could avoid Samaria. But not Jesus. Right now, Jesus, because he was going after this woman. He was pursuing this one woman. He wasn't worried about everything else. He was pursuing this one woman. And in this, he ignored culture. He ignored uh, sexual norms. He ignored uh, religious norms. He ignored racial norms. He ignored uh, her, her past. He ignored all of those things, and he comes after her even when she is hurt and when she's wounded and when she's caught up in sin and she's struggling. Jesus pursues her, and he comes after her. And he, he broke every single norm that there was to pursue this one woman because he was willing to get uncomfortable. Right? Jewish people hated Samaritans so much that when a Jewish man married a Samaritan woman, they would hold a funeral for the man who married the Samaritan woman. That's how bad they hated him. It, this would be like, uh, in the best way I know how to describe it is, this would be like in America. Okay, here, here's what Jesus did. Jesus was willing uh, to, back in America when uh, America was so segregated and the Jim Crow laws were still in place, this would have been like somebody saying, hey, I don't care about these laws. I don't care about these rules. I don't care about these racial norms. I don't care about these societal norms. I don't care about any of that. I'm, you know what? I'm willing to walk across this line, and I'm going to go and pursue that person. I'm going to go and eat with that person even though I'm not supposed to. Right? I'm going to pursue that person even though I'm not supposed to. That's what we see Jesus doing with this woman because he cared about people too much to let something like that get in the way of his pursuing them. So we see Jesus pursued people. The second thing that we see, I believe, in, in the book of John is this. We see that people that met Jesus also pursued people. People that met Jesus, they pursued people. A couple of examples of that. Going back to the story in John chapter 1, here's what it says. The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and noticed them following him, he asked them, what are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Coming, you'll see, he replied. So they went and they saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day. It was about four in the afternoon. And Andrew, after meeting Jesus, what does he do? Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and who followed Jesus. He first went and found his own brother Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ, and he brought Simon to Jesus. And when Jesus saw him, he said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. You see, Andrew, the first thing he does when he meets Jesus is he goes and pursues his brother. His brother meets Jesus and his entire identity has changed. Everything about him's changed. And then we see this. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. He found Philip and he told him, follow me. And Philip was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. And then what did Philip do? Philip went and found Nathaniel. And told him, we found the one Moses wrote about in the law, Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. And so we see in the gospel of John, in John chapter 1, we see that people that met Jesus, they pursued other people. 
And I think there are a couple of, of ways that we can learn to pursue people. I, I think we make it way too hard. We make it way too difficult. I don't know all of this stuff. I don't know the Bible. I don't know what to tell people. I don't know how to answer their questions. I don't know any of that. And so I, I'm, not, I'm just not going to go do it. I'm just not going to go and talk to anybody about Jesus because we make it way too hard. But I think what, what, what we're getting at in John chapter 1 is this. All, one of the ways that you can go and pursue other people is simply to be willing to have a come and see ministry. Have a come and see ministry with your life. Right? You don't have to go and tell everybody about Jesus and the whole good news of the gospel. But you know what you can do? Hey, why don't you just come over to my house for dinner? Why don't you just see how me and my wife interact with each other? Why don't you just come over to my house to dinner and, and why don't you just see how we parent our kids? Why don't you just come over and why, why don't I just allow you to be a part of the life that I'm already living? And as followers of Christ, if we're living a life that is worthy of the gospel, that's imitating Jesus, you know what's going to happen? Eventually, they're going to meet Jesus simply because you're willing to say, hey, just come and be a part of my life. Just come in. Just come and see. Come and see what we're doing. Come and see how we're living. Right? You don't have to, you don't have to be somebody who, who is a great evangelist. You know what you can do is, hey, why don't you just come and see with me at 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning? Just come and see. Just come and see what Jesus is doing. Just come and see what happens. Right? Having this idea of this come and see ministry, it's just not as hard as we make it. Because I believe that so many people are drawn to God through uh, the word being proclaimed, which happens on Sunday morning. Come and see. Come and see and allow them to hear the word of God proclaimed. Their life can get changed. I believe that a lot of people, they meet Jesus because of the faithfulness of family members. We see it in here, right? We see it happen with Peter and Andrew, right? You have a family member that doesn't know the Lord, that doesn't know Jesus, that isn't walking with Jesus. Man, just invite them to your house. Invite them over. Just say, come and see, right? I also think that a lot of people meet Jesus through the faithfulness of their friends. The reality is every single one of us have at least one person that we know that, that is not walking with Jesus that doesn't know the Lord, that doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, and all we have to do is saying, hey, it doesn't take anything extra. Just come on, come and be a part of what I'm already doing. right? Come and be a part of my life. So be willing to have a come and see ministry is the first way that you can pursue people. And I think the second way we pursue people, we see at the end of that story with Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. And here's what it says in John chapter 4, beginning in verse 28. The woman, after she has this encounter with Jesus, she meets Jesus. The woman left her water jar, which is why she came in the first place. So she realized that nothing else matters really other than uh, eternity and getting people to Jesus. And so she leaves uh, behind her water jar, and she went into town, and she told the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. That's important. Could this be the Messiah? They left town, and they made their way to him. And then if you uh, keep going down, beginning in verse 39, it says this, Now many Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of what the woman said when she testified. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of what he said. And they told the woman, we no longer believe because of just what you said, since we have heard for ourselves and know that this really is the Savior of the world. 
So I think one way that we can pursue other people is just to say, come and see. The second way that we can pursue other people is to allow God to use your past and your wounds to reach the people that are around you. That's what we see in the story of the Samaritan woman, right? She, she meets Jesus, and then all of a sudden she goes back to her city and says, hey, all of you know everything I've done because you, you, my reputation in town, you, you know that I've had five husbands that I'm living with a guy that I'm not married to. You know all of that. This man met me in that hurt. He met me in my wounds, and he healed those things in me, and now I'm going to use those things to help heal other people, to help bring other people to Jesus. This woman, uh, it becomes uh, kind of a, uh, she becomes a wounded healer, right? She was wounded. Jesus healed her. Then she used her wounds to heal other people by bringing them to Jesus. And that's a way that we can pursue other people is allowing God to use our story, our misery, our hurt, our wounds, the things that we've been through. Allow God to use those things for ministry, right? It's, this is my story, right? Four and a half years ago, uh, my marriage was on the brink of completely falling apart. It was gone. It was, it was this close uh, because of some decisions that uh, both me and my wife had made. And so it was this close to falling apart, but God miraculously reached down and he healed us and he saved our marriage. And now our marriage is better now than it's ever been. We'll celebrate 10 years of marriage in May uh, to the glory of God. And, we, and, and God has used that over the past four and a half years in some pretty significant ways. But, but I just want you to see how this can work. So four and a half years ago, my marriage is on the brink of divorce. My marriage is falling apart. And God heals us. And then about a year and a half ago, uh, Brian and Melissa Wyatt, who are sitting right here in front of me today, um, uh, they came and they sat down in my office and said, hey, our marriage is falling apart. We're on the brink. Uh, we might not make it. And I was able to share my story and how God had healed me and my wife and our marriage over the past three years. And I, I mean, I shared everything with them. And then because of how God has used my story, he used that and some other people that came around them, and he healed them, and he healed their marriage. And now you know what? They're leading a married group for you guys this semester and pouring into other marriages because of how God is using their story. You see, that's how it works, right? That's how we pursue people. It's not, it's not something that we, we just make it so difficult. And all we've got to do is just be willing to say, hey, come and see. Come and live life with me. Come and be a part of the life I'm living in. We, we can allow God to use our story and our wounds to help heal other people. So Jesus pursued people, and people that met Jesus pursued people. And then the last thing I want you to know is this. God is pursuing you today. God is still in the business of pursuit, right? It didn't end with Jesus, He's still in the business of pursuit. In John chapter 1, uh, in, verse, uh, in verse 14 of John chapter 1, it says, it says this, The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory. The glory is the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, God, because God is a God of pursuit, sent Jesus to this earth for you and for me. 
He's still in the business of pursuing people. And then it tells us in verse 29, the next day John saw Jesus coming and he said, here's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see, God is a God who's still pursuing you today. God is pursuing you right now. And I believe that Jesus wasn't just looking for followers when he was on this earth in bodily form. I think that Jesus is looking for followers still today. I think that God is still pursuing people, still going after people, still looking for followers. Right? The Bible says that Jesus came to seek and save the lost, and I think he is still in that business. God is still in the business of pursuing people. And what I love about this is that one of the, the stories that we talked about with the Samaritan woman, she, Jesus heals her wounds, and she uses her wounds to go and heal other people. She becomes a wounded healer for the people in Samaria. Well, just like that, Jesus is our wounded healer. The Bible tells us that it's by his wounds that we are healed. And so Jesus wants you to know if you don't have a relationship with him, if you are, uh, haven't been healed to the deepest level of your soul today, that he's still in that business. And that God, I believe, if that's you, is pursuing you today. He wants to heal you. He wants to do what he told the Samaritan. He wants to be your living water today. He wants to uh, quench the thirst that you have deep in your soul today. He is the only thing that can fulfill. He's the only thing that can nourish you to a deep soul level. And he wants to do that for you today. So maybe you're here and you don't have a relationship with God and you needed to hear that God is coming after you today. That God is pursuing you today. That he, the, the God of the universe, the creator of it all, he wants a relationship with you today. And him sending Jesus is proof of that. But maybe you're in here and you do have a relationship with the Lord, but for whatever reason, you've just ran away, you've wandered away a little bit. God's pursuing you today as well. He's coming after you. And he's ready for you to run back to him. He's waiting for you with open arms ready to receive you today because God is still in the business of pursuit. So if you don't have a relationship with Jesus today, uh, I want you to know this, that all you have to do in order to experience a relationship with Jesus, according to the Bible, is to realize this, you're sinful and you're imperfect and you're far from God and you can't do anything about it yourself. But because of that, you need Jesus and because God knew that, he sent Jesus for you. Jesus lived a sinless life for you. He became our substitute through his sacrifice on the cross, and he was resurrected to prove that not even death could defeat him. And Scripture tells us if we realize that, all we have to do is this, confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead and we'll be saved. That's all Scripture tells us we have to do. So if you don't have a relationship with the Lord here today, here's what I am begging you, I'm asking you to do, because God's pursuing you today, because he's still in the business of pursuit. And so as we sing this last song in just a moment, what I would ask you to do is if you don't have a relationship with the Lord and you want one, or if you've been running away from the Lord and today's the day, the marker for you, hey, I'm ready. I'm ready to do this thing. I'm ready to run full-fledged with the Lord from here on out. 
All I would simply ask you to do is during this last song while we're singing, while we're worshiping, is to make your way over here to the ramp that you came in when you walked in this auditorium. And there will be some people that are waiting there that would love to talk with you, that would love to pray with you, that would love to help you figure out what this new life looks like for you. But I want to close this way. I hope that all of us in here, we realize that Jesus pursued people and people that met Jesus pursued people. And so if you're in here and you know Jesus today, here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you this week, will you pursue one person? Will you ask God who is the one person that you need to go after? Who is the one person that you need to invite over to your house for dinner? Who's the one person that you need to tell your story to this week? Ask God to give you to, to give you somebody to point out those opportunities and, and let's advance the kingdom together this week. All right, Luke 15 tells a story about a shepherd who it says, if all of you were shepherds of a hundred sheep and one of them went missing, would you not leave the 99 and go after that one? And when you go after that one and you find it, you put him over your shoulder and you carry him back. Will you not call your family and your friends and rejoice together that one, one person, one sheep, one sinner, right, came into a relationship with the Lord? Here's the deal. Let's quit worrying about the masses. Let's quit worrying about the numbers. And let's start just worrying about the one. So ask God during this time of worship together, who is that one person that you need to go after? Here's what I think is interesting. Jesus doesn't tell us to pray for salvation. He tells us the harvest is already here. He says pray for workers, right? So let's don't pray for salvation. Let's be the church and go after the person that God puts on our mind this morning. Let's go after that one person and let's bring them to a place where they can meet Jesus who can change everything about their life. So who is your one person? Let's be the church. Let's be those workers that God said to pray for. And let's go after that one person. Who is your one? Ask God to show you. And then do something about it. And then let's advance the kingdom of God in our community together. Because God, we're about to sing this song called Mover of Mountains. Here's what I know. God is the mover of mountains. God can change a life. God can heal somebody. The most lost person that is in your life, God can save them. God can change them. God can change that family that you thought could never be changed. God could take somebody, a family who has struggled for generations, and he can change everything about their family. He can change their family tree for generations to come. God can heal that addiction. God uh, can, uh, can do whatever we ask him to do, but he, but he wants us and he desires us to be a part of it. So, man, let's be the hands and feet of Jesus. Who's your one? Let's advance the kingdom together, and then let's trust the mover of mountains that he's going to do what only he can do. So let's stand and let's worship together.